Welcome to this special edition of the Terry and Jesse Show. Steve Ray, my special guest. Steve, thanks for joining us here on the Terry and Jesse Show. You're welcome, Terry. You got me just in time. We're leaving for Israel in two days, and I'm going to be gone for a month, so I'm glad we could squeeze this oh, in. Oh, well, thanks for giving us an hour. We're going to talk about your book, uh, the book of Je- the book study Bible, on the book of Genesis, the most important book of the Bible. So we're going to get to that and much, much more here on the Terry and Jesse Show. But, uh, Steve, before we do that, uh, we have a format. We have the Gospel of the Day. This is Friday. And then we talk about what Fulton Sheen has to give us, his words of wisdom. And then we'll get into the book of Genesis and the book that you wrote from Ignatius Press. So I'd like to read the Gospel for Friday's Gospel and then ask you to give us some of your, what I call, uh, great commentary where it, it relates to most of us and how we can apply it to us in our lives. Because God's What's the le- reading? It's Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 33 to 39. Luke, chapter 5, verse 33 to 39. Okay. All right. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees said to Jesus, The disciples of John the Baptist fast often and offer prayers, and the disciples of the Pharisees do the same. But yours, yours eat and drink. Jesus answered them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new cloak to patch an old one. Otherwise, he will tear the new, and the piece from it will not match the old cloak. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be ruined. Rather, new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins, and no one who has been drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Man, the parable, there's a lot in this Gospel, Steve. Where do we start? Well, I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. I love it. I love your sense. (laughs) We we get along real well. We're just at a restaurant right now having a cup of coffee, folks. You're joining us. Thanks for joining us, all of our listeners. Go ahead, Steve. All right, I have a confession to make. I know you're not a priest, but I have a confession to make. I don't like fasting, and I don't do it very often. Okay, well, I'm in the same boat. And um, it's just, it's something that, it's, it's, even when we were Protestants, so we believe that you should fast, and we did a little bit. And I do, I mean, I follow the church fast, but it's not something that I'm good at. But the whole idea of you know, I've been to weddings in Nazareth, Ah. in the Holy Land, you know, my good friend, um, I've been to an engagement and to a wedding. The engagement is almost like it is kind of the wedding because it's the formal. They, it's really the contractual where they, at that point, they are now married. It's in a church with a priest, and then they have a big feasting celebration at the betrothal. And then about a year later, they have the the uh, marriage, and the and the marriage is seven days. Wow! And it still is today. I mean, it's, it's seven days, and they drink a lot. And they eat, eat a lot. A lot. Know, yeah. There's a bottle of scotch every 
on every table, there's at least two bottles of scotch, there's wine, and wow. they, they have a good time. Nobody's going to be fasting yeah. at the wedding, not in Jesus's time I and not it. today in Nazareth. But what he's making the good point is that he's the bridegroom yeah. and there's a relationship going on right now with him. The Pharisees don't have the bride and the groom with them, neither does John the Baptist, but that these guys, the disciples, they're with Jesus, he's the bridegroom, and they're feasting and enjoying his company, but when he leaves, then it's gonna be a different thing. And we know that even it says some demons don't come out except by prayer and fasting. So fasting is a very important uh, part of the Christian life, even though it's a part that, it's not, not something that I do often, it's uh, maybe after today I'll have to. Um, but you know, we put bottles, wine in bottles, so we don't have this problem, but they didn't have glass back then. They had to, they bore it in, in like animal skins. And you know, that's just, that was the wine making technique of the time. You had to know where you're putting the wine. You had to make it so that it would age well. And you don't put it in old skins because the old skins are fragile. It's like uh, putting a piece of cloth. Say you've got a pair of blue jeans you've been wearing for five years and you got to tear them. So you um, put a new piece of cloth on it and you sew it up tight. As soon as you start washing it, that new cloth is going to shrink and it's going to tear away from the old. So he's saying that um, that the old is important. That's why we're talking about the book of Genesis. Yeah. That's the old. But the new Jesus is all important, even more so. But the book of Genesis is looking forward to the bridegroom. That's what the whole book of Genesis is for full of typology. Everything in there is about Jesus. Abraham and Isaac, Joseph, everything in there is about Jesus. So, I just want to clarify for our listeners when you use the word typology, types of Christ in the Old Testament, because we're going to be talking about that in the book of Genesis and much more when we uh, get into that a little later in the show. Steve, thanks for that commentary. Now I'm going to bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Mr. Oh, Full sheen ahead. Now, this is a quotable sheen. Every, every day I'd like to have a quote from him because I think he has a, a PhD in common sense, and common sense ain't that common. Here's what Bishop Sheen has to share with us today. He says, So when God pulls down the curtain on the drama of the world's redemption, he will not ask what part we played, but only how well we played the role assigned to us. And Steve... My take on that is it's not so much what you do, it's how you do it. So if you do your duty as a parent, a father, whatever God's called you to be, whether it's a priest, men, women, religious, single life, you're doing what God wants you to do. That's the key in life. And how do we know that? Uh, by, and this is the key in my, in my own life, is by seeking to do God's will through my daily duty and that God's will be manifested moment by moment as long as I'm staying faithful to my duties in my state in life. And so I say this because so many people today, Steve, are, are struggling with fear right now because we got a second round of COVID coming in possibly. And I say fear is useless. The Bible talks about it 365 times that says don't fear, trust. And so I just think that if we turn our lives to Christ, what's the worst thing somebody could do to us? Kill us? If we're living in the state of grace and, you know, life is short and eternity is forever, then we should just say, let's embrace whatever Christ gives us to do and let's do it well. That's my take on that quote. How about yourself, Steve? Well, Mother Teresa made the comment, 
he doesn't ask us to be successful. He just asks us to be faithful. Oh, well said. To do what, now, there's a, a fun story about my daughter, Cindy. Yeah, yeah, I, don't I know, know Cindy. Know okay, yes, I know. From Steubenville. Yep, I remember. She started Steubenville to yep. get a degree in philosophy. You remember? And one of the men in our parish who had a degree in philosophy yeah. said to my daughter, kind of with a smirk on his face, yeah. you're not going to make much money with a degree in philosophy, believe me. <laughs> she looked at him and said, I'm not getting a degree in philosophy to make money. I'm getting a degree in philosophy to help me be a saint. I what a great answer. And he said, so you think you can be a saint? Yeah. And she said, yes, I do, because God's grace is there moment by moment. If I live within the grace of God, yep. I can resist sin and I can be a saint. Amen. And so can you, she said to him. You know what Cindy just did? She turned that around. Somebody taught her the rabonic, rabonic approach by asking questions. And I just think that was fantastic. And, and again, what you just said, Moment by moment. And I think that that's the key. I'm, I've put a little thing about living in the presence of God and how important that is because living in the presence of God will help us follow Christ and not be f afraid and be frightened by what's going on in the world today. And this is something, again, Steve, I, I point out that living in the presence of God preserves us from sin. It increases our faith. It strengthens our hope and it perfects our love. And then... I want to add one more point, one more bullet. It brings us closer to our guardian angel. And I might add, the unemployment rate for guardian angels is way too high. We need to put them to work. And I think, Steve, for you, your guardian angel works overtime. I believe that God's given you more than one angel because of the work you're doing. You need, uh, you need help because of the work. Steve, before we break, I just want everybody to know the the pilgrimages that you're putting on, I know that the two you're going to are sold out, but how can people, you know, sign up for one of your pilgrimages, my friend? We actually have five trips still this year, and they're all sold out, all five of them, to the Holy Land. What about other but, places? Well, next year, we're going to do a St. Paul cruise. Okay. We're going to go to 10 biblical sites. We're going to do Jordan and Israel, but that one only has... I think two seats left on it in February. Wow. We're going to five days to Jordan and then seven or eight days through Israel. But that one I think is sold out. Well, there might be two seats left huh. um, the last time I looked. And we're going to do Holy Land Part 2. For people who have gone to all the major like rosary sites, we're going to go to all new sites, a lot wow. of Old Testament sites. And we're going to be going to Italy for the, the year of Jubilee, see the shroud and awesome. do the saints and shrines of Italy. So we got a lot coming up. Go to catholicconvert.com and click on the pilgrimage link. Awesome. I want to also give a plug to a day with Fulton Sheen coming up on the 14th of October here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. You can stream it by signing up for that. I have a priest who is a priest today, but when he was 14 years of age, 60 years ago, he was in a communist country. Someone sent a Bishop Sheen book to him when he was 14 years old. He read it, wanted to become a Catholic, and now he's a Catholic priest today. You'll hear his conversion story. And I trust you, it's powerful. So go to vmpr.org, sign up for a day with Fulton Sheen. We're going to be covering lots of things about Bishop Sheen and his beatification, hopefully coming up soon, and much, much more. We're talking to Steve Ray about his new book, Genesis. It's a Bible study guide and commentary put out by Ignatius Press. We got a good question to ask Steve when we come back. Stay with us, family, for inspiration. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Steve Ray joining us about his new book on Genesis. 
I like to just say this because it's true. I'm too inspired to be tired, okay? I, this is my third radio show today, and I'm still fired up. I'm too protected to be dejected. No depression here. I'm inspired because I know who wins. And I'm too renewed to be subdued, right? Because I renew my baptism promises on a regular basis. So I don't fear what the world's going to give because I've got Jesus with me. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Steve Ray, your new book on Genesis. Steve, Tim Staples wrote an endorsement on the back. Many other people did too. But I like what Steve said. Or I like what Tim Staples said. It's priceless. Ray has done a remark, a truly remarkable job of making the book of Genesis understandable for anyone, whether seasoned scholar or novice to the faith. There is simply no commentary on Genesis that matches the comprehensive nature of this work while remaining faithful to a truly Catholic sense of biblical scholarship. Uh, I got to tell you, Steve, that's a great endorsement. First of all, Steve, why did you even write this commentary? What was on your mind when you were thinking of doing this? Because this is a lot of work. Somebody asked me to write a Bible study, and I wrote it on Genesis, a simple Bible study. Mm -hmm. And then once I wrote the simple Bible study, um, a lot of people, it resonated with them, and they commented on it. They liked it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to turn that thing into a book. So my wife and I, and I have to say, she's the co-author on this. And if you notice the... uh, the endorsement here, it says, to my beloved wife, Janet, who was ever at my side and sat oh, yeah. with me untold hours, listening and advising as I wrote the book. Many of the words and thoughts are hers. I could have never done it without her. Well said. So we sat down and we we made, we made wrote this book, and I I have a big library in my house. <laughs> and so we pull, I pulled everything I could find on Genesis, yeah. and I have a lot of Jewish commentaries. This is something unusual about my book. Most of the books like this will quote a bunch of Catholic scholars and church documents and fathers of the church. But what I did is I included in here a lot of Jewish rabbis. I noticed. Not only current rabbis and and excellent authors and commentators, but all the way back to even before the time of Christ and medieval times. And it's fascinating because the book of Genesis was their book long before we ever came on the scene. (laughs) God gave the book of Genesis to the Jewish people, not to us. Right. So I wanted to understand the book of Genesis, not only from our Catholic perspective, because we now can look at the book through the the lens of Christ, so to speak. He's like the binoculars, and we can look through Christ, and we can see everything back there. But what did the Jews think about Genesis when they were there and after, before the time of Christ? So I added, did a lot of that. It's fascinating, by the way. And I wanted to make this book accessible to people. Yeah. Um, people get intimidated by the Bible. That's such a big book, and it's, you know, the Genesis, and it's got all these names and these genealogies, and and then we have science comes along that seems to debunk everything that we read in Genesis about creation, and people just, they just say, well, you know what, I'll read it next year, (laughs) and they put it back on the shelf. So I wanted to make it accessible to people, and it really is, Terry, you can, the book of Genesis is divided into two parts. Yeah. Chapters 1 through 11, which is called prehistory, and chapters 12 through 50, which is called history. What I mean by that is before chapter 11, we really can't assign dates. Like, what date did the flood take place? Well, we don't know the date when the flood took place, but we don't know the date. What was the date of Adam and Eve's creation? I don't know. Some Protestants think they do. They say it's like 6,000 years ago on April 14th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) But, you know, the, the reality is those 11 chapters, 
we really have a hard time dating them. So it's prehistory. Then when Abraham comes, we're starting at 2000 BC. Now the rest of the book, we can date it. It's all follows with archaeology, history, other other um, ancient culture, so on we can do. So here's how I divide each one of those two sections. You can divide into four each. Okay. Very simple. Now you're going to have Genesis in your shirt pocket. Mm -hmm. Okay, Genesis 1 through 11, the first section, is creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. You remember those four? Absolutely. And you've got the first ha the first section of Genesis memorized. Mm -hmm. Creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Now we go to the next section. Again, four. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This is a story of a family. It's a family that was called by God, and God worked through this family to bring his covenant about because Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen, and Noah did too. And the whole thing went, went to hell in a handbasket. And God looked for a man who would he could start over with, in a sense. He wanted to find a man who would be faithful, who would obey him. Because God wants to bring a Messiah, a Savior, and he needs a people, recognizable people, so that when that Messiah comes and is born to that people, they will recognize him. So he starts with Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to do this for me. And he gives Abraham the toughest job. And Abraham was tested. The guy was made out of steel in a way. He was un he was relentless in his obedience. You, you've got these four guys. I know we're going to go back to the first chapter. I but do. I want to get there. How'd you know? Yeah, yeah, but I just want to say these four guys sure. because it, Abraham <laughs> is just totally obedient and malleable yeah. and submissive to God. Isaac is is like there's nothing memorable about him. He never does anything heroic. He's kind of blah. Yeah. But he gives birth to a son called Jacob, who is a conniver and a crook. And whereas Abraham says, here I am, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Jacob says, wait a minute. If you do this for me, and if you do this for me, and if you do that for me, then you'll be my God. I'm a negotiator here. Okay. Then Joseph, he's a picture of Christ. He is just totally holy, righteous man. So th this is, there I give you the kind of the overview of the whole book. It's some of the most sublime, wonderful literature that has ever been written. The techniques in the story is, is sublime. Mm -hmm. Nothing else has been written as beautifully, I think, as the book of Genesis and these men's lives. And Jess, and Tim, how about Steve Ray this time? Steve, what I wanted to, I, what I noticed is not only you get the Jewish rabbis and commentaries, in addition to all that, you still use uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, the Fathers of the Church. You're using, you, in other words, all the resources are at your fingertips. You've got them all here. I, I've not seen anything like that myself. I've read Dr. Hahn, and I, I respect Dr. Hahn's Genesis series. I learned a lot from him. I've read Tim Staples. I've had many other, um, Brent Petrie, Dr. Barber, all these people uh, you know, giving commentaries. But it seems like there's a unique position here that you're writing from uh, a Jewish perspective, Christian perspective, You've even uh, you know, Catholic. You're, you're using all these sources to tie it all in, but in you're being faithful to Christ. So I want to understand something about the creation of the world, because if you don't get the creation of the world right, I don't think you get anything right. Exactly. Now, I think my book is the only comment, Catholic commentary on Genesis that's out there in the last 
50 or 100 years. I wow. never found another Catholic commentary on Genesis. Okay. They're, they're in sets of commentaries, yep. but this is this is the only one that I know of. Interesting. Now, the cre- it starts with creation, but it actually starts before creation. It starts with, in the beginning, God created. Yes. But you ha- immediately it begs the question, well, if God created in the beginning, what was before the beginning? Exactly. Good question. And that, that's really... You have to read the Bible this way. You have to ask these questions. Okay, if the beginning is a creation, what was before the beginning? Well, we begin to see the Trinity already revealed. God is outside of his creation. He ex nihilo, we call it. That means in Latin, out of nothing. God creates out of nothing something. Yep. And it is the massive universe, the angels, people, plants, hummingbirds, even those little hummingbirds, 70 beats a second with their wings. So you've got God creates all of these things and he is outside of that. That is, he's not a part of his creation. The reason that it's important that we know this, Terry, is because you and I have five senses. I can see, smell, taste, hear and touch. Yep. Okay. And everything I know about the world around me comes through those five gates, yep. so to speak, into the city. Those five gates is how I know everything, but they're very inadequate. I can't know everything with those five senses. Science uses the five senses and reason, and it can often tell us how something came about, but it can't tell us why. Mm. So when religion answers the question why we exist, Science tries to help understand how we got here. But the Bible tells us that God created it all from nothing. Yep. And that is important to know because we are today, our culture, especially in America and Europe, we're like a ship without a rudder and without a North Star. We're just bobbing on the ocean. We don't know where we came from. We don't know who we are. We don't know why there's problems in the world. We don't know where we're going and what the end game is. We're just bobbing around. There's no compass, no North Star, and there's no anchor. The book of Genesis is the most important book in the Bible because it lays the foundation for all of the rest of Scripture. That's right. And it also tells us what was before the beginning, how things came about, why God made us. There's problems in the world because there was a fall where man turned his back on God and brought everything down. And there's a plan. He's going to bring a woman with a son who's going to redeem us all. So the book of Genesis lays the foundation for everything. It tells a rudderless society who we are, where we came from, where we're going, and that there is meaning to life. And where else are you going to find it? This is a revelation from God that we could have never learned any other way. Sign me up, Steve Ray. Do I go to your website? Can we purchase the book at this moment? Is it available? Yep, catholicconvert.com. And it doesn't come as fast as Amazon, but these are all signed. And it helps our family. Well, our, you know what? Forget well, about Amazon. Go to what's Steve. That? Forget about Amazon, okay? <laughs> go to Steve Ray's website. I, no, I support. Try to support Catholic apostles. I, I even say this, Steve. If you can't get it there and you have a local bookstore, I'm a big promoter of Catholic bookstores because we need to keep those people in business. They're usually just small mom and pop guys, and they're doing this as an apostolate where, you know, their margins are tight. So I would consider doing that. Also, we've got two minutes before the break. I want to talk about uh, a very important aspect of the fall uh, and then talk about Genesis 3.15 with with the woman. So if we can go into, uh, before the break, a little bit about uh, Genesis and showing how, you know, original sin, because I think if we don't get original sin right, 
we get nothing right also and about our fall and our human nature. Right. Okay. So knowing my time is short, they were commanded to, they walked with God in the garden in the evenings yeah. and they were told you can eat of anything, but just, you can't eat of that tree. Okay. And they did anyway. Now God could have created creatures who were like robots that would say, I love you. I love you. I love you. He didn't want that. He wanted people to create in his own image. God has so much fun. The Trinity has so much fun together. They love each other. They, they just have a blast and they wanted to create some people in their image to share all of this fun that they have together. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They believed the adversary instead. And when they did, they were supposed to be God's vice regents. They were like the stewards of the land. They were going to be co-creators with him. They were in charge of all of this. They were, the garden was theirs. Even Adam got to name the animals. That, when you name something, it means you're in charge of them. Absolutely. But they disappointed God and they sinned against him. And we'll do the rest when we get back. Steve Ray, you're amazing. Stay with us, family. You're learning about the first book of the Bible. You got to know more about Genesis to get the rest. Stay with us. Welcome back indeed to the Terry and Jesse Show. My good friend Steve Ray wrote a new book on the book of Genesis. It's a Bible study guide and commentary. Right there. I got it right here. Yeah, exactly. And so I want everybody to pick it up. And the reason I do is all of you who want to study the Bible, if you don't get the book of Genesis right, you miss so much of the rest of the Bible. So this is important. And Steve, I want you were I can't believe you did that fall so quick in the fall of Genesis. Well, I got another point yeah, I want yeah, to make. Yeah, I want you to. I don't want you to be feeling short on it. That's okay. that's too an important. It's a very important topic. Well, one of the things I like to do in this book is to show the meaning of certain words, okay. words that we read in English, but yeah. it was written in Hebrew yeah. and the words are important. So I, I'd like to do things like the first time a word is used okay. or what are these what, in the fall? Yeah. It's very important because it says that the woman is going to multiply her pain in childbirth. Right. And that word pain is Isaban in Hebrew. So she's going to have pain and giving birth to a child. That's her realm of work. Right. But in Adam, he's going to have be, it says, in toil, you shall work your garden. But the word toil is also Isaban. Mm. It's the mm. same word. Eve and Adam have the same punishment, and both of them is pain or toil. It's the same Hebrew word. So they're going to marry, I mean, Eve is going to suffer Isaban in her work of raising, giving children. Adam is going to suffer Isaban in his of working the fields. And it's this is what's so important to understand the meaning of words than what the Hebrew words are along the way. Steve, can I just jump in? I wanted to bring something up that I'm not sure if it's in your book because I just got your book over the weekend. But the preternatural gifts that were given to Adam and Eve before the fall, can you just share what that was? Because I don't think people realize what it was like before the fall. Well, can you imagine yeah, when Adam, <laughs> when Eve was created and God woke Adam up and he looked and saw Eve? Can you imagine what Adam <laughs> thought when he saw Eve oh, the first yeah, time? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> oh my goodness! Exactly. Oh, oh, bone of my bone and flesh, flesh of my, my flesh. She's beautiful. Exactly. I'm going to call her woman. You know? Can you I imagine? But I think that there was, and and people lived older back in those yes. days. Some of the some of the speculation as to why they lived older then and not now, 
is because sin took its toll over time. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. And sin does. And also that there was an idea that the, the canopy of the of the uh, waters over the heavens blocked the um, ultraviolet rays. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different views of that, but that's a whole nother topic that we talk about. But the fall was very significant because it explains to us today why is there suffering in the world exactly, today? Exactly, Steve. Why is there murder and right. all of these evil things? Why are people both noble and cruel exactly. at the same time? Because sin entered us in, and we are still made in the image of God. We still have his image printed on us. We still are good in a way, mm-hmm. but sin is twisted and bent us towards evil. And he has a plan. It's not that he's weak and he can't fix it. And it's not that he's not good, so he doesn't want to fix it. He does want to fix it, and he's powerful enough to fix it, but he's doing it through us, through his son. He's using mankind through his son to bring about the redemption. And this is just this fantastic stuff. But anyway, that's a little bit about the creation and fall. Yeah. But, you know, most people, when they think of Genesis, they only think of the creation. But that's only two chapters. Right. And the fall is only one chapter. There you go. But there's still 47 more chapters left. Wow. Well, I got to ask the question uh, because we talked about the fall. We've talked uh, about um, there's a word love that I know you use. You can't yes. think you did a word count. Can you talk about that with us, please? The word, I, I like to ask when I'm studying, when is the first time ah. words are used? Okay. And when you find out the worst, the first time words are used, they really, it's, it's significant where the Holy Spirit puts them. Okay. The word love yeah. is at the pinnacle of the book of Genesis. Okay. And that is when God is testing Abraham the last test. Ah. Genesis chapter 22. You would think that love would be used of Adam and Eve, but it's not. The first time the word love is used is Genesis 22.1, Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. The first time the word love is used is as a father for his only begotten son. Well, guess what? Does that sound like John 3.16 or what? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And there's a reason because there's a parallel. We talked about typology. Yes. Typology is a person, place, or thing in the Old Testament that points forward to a reality in Christ. The flood is water. The dove is over the ark. Water and the spirit, water and spirit were born again. It's this whole thing of the ark and the dove is a picture of water baptism. But here we have Abraham offering his son Isaac. Where does he offer his son Isaac? On Mount Moriah. Where's Mount Moriah? It's the top of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. So Abraham has to take his only begotten son whom he loves so that we could see 2,000 years later what's going to happen when another father with his only begotten son takes him to the same place to offer him. When is the second time the word love is used? Tell me. It says that Isaac, well, I've got to set it up a little bit Ooh. because you have, I'm going to do this real fast. Sure, Abraham it. has to go to Mount Moriah. Mm-hmm. He t- takes his son there and his son, he carries the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Jesus also carried the wood of the sacrifice on his back. When Abraham was going to kill his son, he saw the ram with his head stuck in a thicket. When Jesus went up, his, he was the lamb of God with his head stuck in a thicket. He had a thorn bush on his head. I see the analogy. And then Jesus is, is offered, and then in a sense, he's raised from the dead. 
And Isaac was raised from the dead in a sense because he didn't have to die. Abraham takes his son back and he says, my son needs a bride. So he sends his unnamed servant. We don't know the servant's name with 10 camels of gifts back to his own people. And he finds Rebecca and she agrees to go, comes back, sees Isaac. And it says that Isaac loved her and married her and took her into his tent. Very romantic. Women are going to love this story. (laughs) But here's a story. God the Father yes. went and sent his unnamed servant, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't have a name. He's only described as holy and spirit. Mm-hmm. And he sends him back to his own people on the day of Pentecost to Jerusalem. And he finds a bride for his son, Jesus. And he brings the bride back up to heaven. And someday we're going to be at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So the first time the word love is used is of a father for his only begotten son. The second time is for a husband who loves his bride, just like Jesus loves his church. That's the first two times the word love is used. And don't you dare to Terry, tell me that the Holy Spirit didn't place those strategically in the book of Genesis for that very reason. And you know, Steve, I think of what Bishop Sheen said, uh, that he said, sacrifice is the language of love. You sacrifice for your wife, I sacrifice for my wife. This is how, how do we love somebody, Steve? Yep. And this is why those words are used first time in those two places. Yep, yep, yep. That's awesome. Awesome. Keep going. And now, Steve, I know we just have a couple minutes in this segment, one more segment. I want to cram as much as I can to get people to buy this book on Genesis that you just recently wrote. Uh, there was one thing, and I don't, I, I, if this is not where you want to go, but the great flood, that's always fascinated me in the book of Genesis about the flood. Well, there was a flood, and all the ancient civilizations have a story of a flood, they do. They whether do. it's the American Indians yep. or the Incas, and yep. wherever you go. And I and I give a list of this in the book of all of the ancient civilizations. It's because there was a primordial event yep. that took place in history that all of the peoples that were there, that story went. And as they spread around the world after Noah yeah. and all the different nations were formed, they all continued to tell the story. It got changed a bit. And there's different reasons for the flood, but all of them have a flood story. The difference with ours is that God is not capricious. He didn't do it just for fun or because he was angry, whatever. He did it because he was purifying. And and our story, we know why God did it and what his purposes were for it. So the flood happened and... This is the beauty of the revelation of God, that we know the flood happened. And Noah, the Jews, call Noah the new Adam, the second Adam. Why? Because Adam was told to multiply and fill the earth. When Noah starts, he's starting all over again. And God tells him to go out and multiply and fill the earth. Noah is viewed by the Jews as the second Adam who's starting over again. That's awesome. Steve, you got me on the edge of my chair. Now, there's so many chapters in this book, and your insights are stellar, in my humble opinion. I want to understand something that many people read about the Tower of Babel and the descendants of Shem. What, what's that all about? Because we hear about that often. I don't think people get a good grasp of that. The Tower of Babel is, is really interesting because these people were told to go out and to scatter around the world. Right. Even Adam and Eve were supposed to do this. They were to multiply and fill the earth. They were to expand the borders of the garden. Right? Like we are. <laughs> they, and and we, they were to, to bring the garden to, whole, to the whole earth. Yes. And 
but the people at the Tower of Babel were also had been commanded through Moses to go out and spread and, and fill the earth, but they didn't. They wanted to build a tower. It's called a ziggurat, by the way. Yeah, interesting. And it's the kind of pyramids that they made in Iraq because this really? took place in Iraq. Wow. And I've been there. One of the cool things about this book, Terry, is I've been to all the places yeah, that's, in Genesis. that's huge. That's huge. And so I, when I talk about places, I describe them because I've been there. I've waded through the Euphrates River. Wow. I've been to the place where, where the Bible says that Eden was because it's where the Tigris and Euphrates connect down by, the, um, by Basra wow. at the, uh, the bay down there. So I've been to all the places that Genesis talks about. And that makes it fun for me to explain because the context is so important. But anyway, they, they refused to go out and they built these ziggurats which is what in Ur, where Abraham was, there's still a ziggurat. And I've been on the top of that ziggurat. It's still there 4,000 years later. It's a big pyramid. And then God, he confused their languages because they were saying, we're going to reach to the heavens. We're going to be like God. We're going to. And I think in some ways our society today is doing that with Big computers time. and with knowledge. We're saying we don't need God. We can build our own human tower we can build our own human civilization and we can be like God. We don't need him anymore. And at that point, God confused their languages at Babel. So, so imagine, Terry, you're on a work crew yep. and you're building this thing. You're in charge of rolling the wheelbarrow up with a concrete. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they get, your supervisor goes, hello, we got to go. And you look at him and say, what? What? Say that again. And he's like, and he points to you. And all of a sudden, you can't understand a thing he says. Oh, yeah. But the guy over here, you understand him. So you go over and talk to this guy and the ones, and all of a sudden, Sudden there's these different languages so the different work crews they get into different groups pretty soon they're going out stay with us family hang on we gotta take a quick break we'll be back with steve ray welcome back to the terry and jesse show to join the conversation call 888-526-2151 now here's terry and jesse Welcome back. To, uh, Jesse Romero will be back tomorrow. Steve Ray, my good friend, CatholicConvert.com, is with us. Steve, I like when you get excited, brother. I just wish you'd really tell me what you think next time. Steve, <laughs> the book of Genesis, As I, if someone just tuned in, we're talking about Steve Ray's new book, uh, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Go to CatholicConvert.com, and you can pick up the book now. You don't have to wait. Steve, we only have one segment left. Where do we want to go with your book right now. I mean, I see all these chapters. What else would you like to talk about so that we could get people excited about this book? Well, the, the, the whole, we've only talked about the first 11 chapters, yeah. and, but the, the rest of it is all the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we forget Joseph. Yeah. Joseph is the most fascinating in, in, story. If you in Egypt, yeah, sure. I, I I had tears in my eyes when I was writing the story of, wow. of Joseph. Because and why when is that? Brothers come. Yeah, uh, you know they they sold him into slavery. Oh, yeah, they they lied him. to their father about what happened to yeah. him. They took yeah, his all, they took his special robe and they put it in blood, goat's yeah. blood. Yeah. They didn't have DNA tests back then. It wouldn't have worked if they did. But they took the, the robe and they said, handed it to his father. They didn't even tell him. They let the father conclude that an animal had killed him. Yeah. That's how evil this was. And now they have to go to Egypt. They don't realize that that brother they sold into slavery, just like Jesus was sold into slavery. 
And he was down in the prison. He went into prison, remember, down to, in, in the tomb. Yeah. And then he was raised from the dead. And what did he do? He became at the right hand of God the Father. And what happened to Joseph? He's at the right hand of Pharaoh. This is the most amazing picture and image of Jesus Christ and his life. And his brothers, the Jewish people, had rejected him. They had sold him into slavery, in a sense, with Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. The the Jewish people sold him into this crucifixion and resurrection, which then ended up with him being raised up to the very highest, highest position. Incredible. Joseph was the same. Now those brothers mm -hmm. had to they there's a famine in the land. They have to travel all the way to Egypt, and their brother Joseph is he they don't recognize him because now he's had his head shaved like us. The Egyptians had their oh, head shaved, they didn't have facial hair. Yeah. The 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 Jews, the Israelites all had hair and beards and things, but but Joseph, he now had his head shaved and he, he was an Egyptian. He had his royal robes on. They didn't have a clue who he was. That's great. They come in and say, We need to get some grain. And they say, and he recognized them. And then he it, it's beautiful. And I bring it out in the book. It's like he punishes them, but it's not out of vindictiveness. He's not saying, well, I'm going to kick their butts. Those yeah, guys did, did that to me. me. Look at what I can do. I'm going to torture them, you know? Right. No, but he doesn't tell them who he is. He starts to just, well, where's your father? Well, then where's your brother? We have another brother at home. I want you to bring that brother. No, if we bring that younger brother, our father will die. I, you have, and then he tricked them. He put their money back in their bag. It, it's just a, the story is yeah. one of the most marvelous mystery stories and, and drama and yeah. interpersonal relationship stories that I cried while I was <laughs> writing this thing. Wow. But the, the thing is, what he does with his brothers is he brings them to the point of repentance. Mm. He brings them to the point where they're finally willing to go to confession and admit what they did. Yeah. And when they did, then all, all the blessings came. It's just like Christ with us. Yeah. He brings us, he coaches us, he deals with us. And sometimes it's hard. But the end result is if we humble ourselves and we repent like those brothers did, yeah. then... He's, it saves our life. And the whole family then came to Egypt and their life was saved. They became slaves, but eventually God took them and he gave them the promised land. And so the whole story of Joseph is people don't know the story of Joseph. It is fascinating story. And we didn't even get a chance to talk much about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Oh, yeah. Jacob is my, oh, I think I, Jacob's my favorite because he's a crook. He's a conniver. Let's talk about him. Always, he's always negotiating. He never <laughs> will take God for his word. He always wants to fight everybody. Yeah. And this is why I like Jacob. Because God says, when Moses meets God later, yeah. after the 400 years in, uh, in Egypt, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the crook. <laughs> That's funny. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Even the word Jacob means crook deceitful, supplanter. Hmm. That's what his name means. Incredible. So God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the crook. And if God can name himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the crook, then he can be the God of Abraham. He can be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Steve Ray, too. Yeah, amen, brother. And me, too. And, you know, Steve, I never really thought of that with Jacob and how, I mean, we're all sinners. Nobody, no, you know, and the, and the Bible says in the book of Revelation, not 
but just pointing out that says nothing perfect and nothing but perfect and pure will enter the kingdom of heaven. We're all sinners. We all need to be repenting. And I just think that this is a good example in the Old Testament of what happens when we repent and our eyes are open. Right. And and I and Jacob is so fascinating because God and I know this is trite, okay. but I use it several times in the book that God writes straight with oh, yeah. crooked lines. Of course. He takes he uses sinful people to fulfill his purposes. Isn't that today he's still doing it? He's still doing it. He uses sinful people. And this is that drives the devil crazy <laughs> because the devil thinks, oh, I'm gonna do this I and I'm this gonna guy. I'm gonna subvert the plans of God. Yeah. And what ends up happening is God laughs That's and he fine. says, Thank you, devil. You just helped me with my plan. Oh. See, all things work together for good for those who love Amen, God. Brother. Amen. So this is the beauty of Genesis is yeah. it lays out the whole beginning of the story for us. And I'll tell you this, I think the second most important book in the Bible, and yeah. I have a commentary on that one too, it's right here called John. Mm -hmm. I think this is the second most because it picks up where Genesis leaves off. Mm -hmm. And it tells us now what the new Adam is doing to bring about this book tells us what's going to happen. This book tells us about fulfillment of it and how it happened. And how do both books begin? With the same words. That's in, in the beginning. beginning. Yep. Yep. And John is saying, if you want to understand my book that begins within the beginning, you've got to understand the first book that it starts with in the beginning. They tie together. Incredible. And both of those books are at Steve Ray, I should say, CatholicConvert.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's it. All right, Steve, let, we just have a few minutes left here on this show. Uh, I still want to remind people, though, of all your pilgrimages. How can they uh, watch some of the videos? Because I know that's really beautiful that you've put all these available so people can actually watch where they're going to be going and get excited about it. How can they do that? One, one of the things that we do that no other pilgrimage group right. does yeah. is we make a video, a movie, a two-hour movie of every group that we take. Right. And my grandkids edit it for me. I take all the pictures and movies. My grandkids edit it. They're just marvelous. My son Jesse's kids. Oh, yeah. So I have never missed a day mm -hmm. in over 15 years of 10 pilgrimages a year. Never missed a day of putting a YouTube video up of that day. And then my kids make that nice movie for the folks that come with me. That's but nice. you can go on my website, catholicconvert.com, and yeah. then go to the pilgrimage link and go to past pilgrimages, and you can join a virtual pilgrimage. You yeah. can watch that two-hour movie for all the trips I've done. There's 150 of them up on oh the website. Now. That's incredible. Steve, what about um, lots of blogs that you have on your website? I want people to know what else they can get because you you do comment about what's going on in the world today, how can they get those blogs and any other resources? Well, thank you, Terry. You're a good friend. At catholicconvert.com, on the homepage, I write a blog every day yeah. about what's happening. For example, when Bishop Strickland writes a new letter, I put that <laughs> new letter up. So, I noticed and, that. And a lot of other things about apologetics and Bible studies. Sure. But then if you go to catholicconvert.com resources, yeah. I have hundreds of documents that I've given, hundreds of arguments that I've had with Baptist pastors, all about Mary, the Eucharist, and so on. Awesome. I also have hundreds of conversion stories. Yeah. If you want to read Muslim, Jew, uh, Jew uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses to Christ, all of those, I have hundreds of conversion stories. Up there. I've got a lot of stuff on there. 
And I also have, you can invite me to come to your parish. I go all over the country and given talks at parishes and men's conferences and things. It's all at catholicconvert.com. And Terry, yeah. I always enjoy coming on with you, not only because we have the hair, same hairstyle, <laughs> but because we're a lot alike. We're passionate about you the think? faith. And, and I, I always enjoy being with well, you. Well, it's mutual. And I just want to re- encourage people to get your book uh, on Genesis a Bible study guide and commentary. It was just published by Ignatius Press. I'd like you to go to Steve's uh, CatholicConvert.com website. And as you get those books, I think there's, I mean, there's still, we don't do DVDs as much as we used to, but Steve, do you still, can people still get your DVDs? Oh, yeah. They're uh, all of my five, my nine movies I made. I filmed them all on location in 16 countries. The whole story of Abraham, Moses, David and Solomon, Elijah and Elisha, wow. Mary, Jesus, Peter, wow. Paul, and the Apostolic Fathers are all there. They're also on Formed. Good, on Formed. Formed. Yes. Org. Institute, People can yeah. watch them there. You can buy a, a guy of a good special for them if you want to buy the DVDs on my website. And they all have study guides that come good. with them. Great for families, yes. great for Bible studies, parishes, schools. Wonderful. Steve, last thought on, on the uh, book of Genesis. Um, and that is when you talk about uh, Jacob's blessing Joseph and his two sons and the last words to his sons. I think this is something that maybe we can finish with. Well, Jacob... He is, by this time now, he has been tempered and um, mellowed out. He's become really quite a holy man. God has worked with him over his life. And he he blesses all of his sons. Beautiful. And that passage, I I really enjoyed doing that. Two sons got blessed more than any other, Joseph and Judah. And Judah was actually quite a rogue. Is that right? we have a chapter in there about Judah right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's even though he from him comes the line of Christ, yeah. Judah himself is a rogue. Jesus has some real skeletons in his gene- genealogical line. Jacob is one of them. Rahab the harlot is another one. Sure. So, you know, Jesus, he came into humanity. He became one of us. And the beauty of Genesis is it shows us that God deals with sinful humanity and he uses sinful humanity Amen. to bring about his purposes and goals. And in the end, we win. That's right. Steve Ray's new book on Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary, Catholic Convert. Dot com is where you can get that book. Steve Ray, if you were Jesse, or you were Jesse Romero, I'd say, Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? Certainly not in California, <laughs> but we should be. <laughs> I heard your commercial. Yes. Um, and Michigan's getting just as bad. Yeah. But I would say that we should live in the state of being right with God, the state of grace, and not get to confession and get it right now. Thank you, Steve. And don't forget our Lady of Fatima message when she says souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Please consider whether you're four years old or 104, you can participate in the salvific work of Jesus Christ by making every action a blank check. Put Jesus' name on everything we do and offer it up to the sacred heart of Jesus. May God richly bless you and your family. Thanks for listening.